90% of this game is showing up, right? It's showing up, being present, being in the right rooms, networking with the right people, but showing up. That consistency of showing up is like 90% of the battle. Other than that, I mean, there are some practical tips and practical things that you can do, right, to like get started. But all of those things are the easy part. It's the showing up and the consistency that's the harder part. Welcome to another episode of That Changed My Life, a podcast where real people share their personal stories of transformative moments that altered the course of their lives. In each episode, we'll dive into the personal stories of individuals who have experienced transformative events that shifted their perspectives, sparked newfound passions, or led them on unexpected paths. From life-altering decisions to chance encounters, our guests will candidly share their journeys of transformation, growth, and self-discovery. I am your host, Alex Lovely, a real estate investor and life coach on a mission to discover the extraordinary ways in which our lives can be forever transformed by a single moment. Hey, Vina, welcome. Hi. For, uh, yeah, thank you for taking the time to join us here on this, uh, on this call and on this interview. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to first start by just saying that the intention of this call here and this interview is to provide value for the audience. You know, mm -hmm. we're going to talk about impact, the impact that we make in yeah. our lives, the impact that somebody has made in our mm -hmm. lives. And then I want the audience to kind of be able to reflect back to their own lives where yeah. they were impacted. And maybe in this moment, they feel like they're called to do something mm -hmm. and they may not have the courage. So mm -hmm. by watching this and by watching what's possible for them, uh, perhaps this could inspire some courage. So Absolutely. yeah, just, yeah. So thank you again for being on here. Yes, thank um, you. Yeah, so we'll just start. If you can just give a little bit uh, introduction of yourself, um, what you're up to these days. Yeah, so I'm Vina Jetty. I'm the founder of a company called Vive Funds. I'm a large multifamily owner operator. I also run Mastering Multifamily with Vina Jetty, which is my Facebook community. And pretty much as far as operations go, we focus on class B value add assets in the Sun Belt. So Texas, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Arizona, uh, which may be changing soon. So we'll see. We had a meeting about it. So we'll see if we start changing our footprint a little bit. But I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, where where would you be? Uh, what, what are you considering? What market are you considering? Well, so interestingly, we have recently started implementing some AI technology, and the technology actually will identify undervalued markets for us. So it could be anywhere in the country, theoretically. Obviously, we'll go and put like our little touch on it afterward but um we're we're starting to look at some other markets that we are strongly considering is vegas somewhere in there maybe, <laughs> maybe. it could okay. be <laughs> all right we'll we'll definitely touch upon that so you're in this space i know that you're you're huge like everybody's seeking you out to speak on mm -hmm. their podcasts on their stages and mm -hmm. you know when people are seeking you out i feel like personally um there's almost like a responsibility of the message mm -hmm. that you want to deliver. 
So mm-hmm. what, when you go on stage, when you go on pack podcasts, what is it that you want the audience to really get from hearing from you? You know, it depends on the audience. And I always ask, like, who am I speaking to right now? Because I want to, just the same way I like to know my investor avatar, I actually like to know who I'm speaking to on podcasts or stages and stuff like that. Because the way I'm going to speak to somebody who's never done a multifamily deal is going to be very different and a different level of conversation than someone who's trying to get from 200 million to 500 million, right? So it depends on who I'm speaking to. If I'm speaking to someone who's never done multifamily or maybe they're in real estate, but not multifamily specifically, they haven't made that leap yet. Um, really my message is 90% of this game is showing up, right? It's showing up, being present, being in the right rooms, networking with the right people, but showing up that consistency of showing up is like 90% of the battle. Other than that, I mean, there are some practical tips and practical things that you can do right to like get started but all of those things are the easy part it's the showing up and the consistency that's the harder part yeah that's yeah. i definitely yeah. get that part and so you're a, a woman in this industry that is dominated by men and the last time yeah. that we got together and it's actually the first time we really met in person i think we yeah. kicked it off right away about this conversation because uh, you know, you shared about your passion about empowering mm-hmm. women in this space. And mm-hmm. it actually reminded me of, you know, how I should be in service to my wife, how I should encourage mm-hmm. the, the women around me. And I, I personally that. always said, I'm always saying this, I'm like, women have stronger intuitions. Like women know <laughs> what's going on, right? Like no. women are really designed to just like serve. Like we go out, we yeah. do hunting, whatever. And then we come back like, here you go. And, you know, we're we're kind of like designed really to serve the women if we really think about it. So, you know, I come from that, that space when I, when I think about my wife, when I think about the women um, that are around me and how do I inspire them? So you are big on this conversation and I love to hear more about it because I really feel like a, that impacted me greatly in this such short time. And um, yeah, just, Tell me a little more about this topic. Yeah, well, first and foremost, I appreciate that you were open to that conversation because, you know, it, it can be a hard and jarring conversation sometimes to hear that, okay, you, yeah, you're a good guy, but that doesn't mean that you're done. Like, it's, that's not the bar that we're setting, right? Like, the bar is up here. Um, and so, first, I appreciate you for being open to that. And second, I appreciate that. I, I felt in our interaction then that you actually took that and you've been implementing that, at least the awareness around what we were talking about. And so for anyone who wasn't there, what we were talking about is the emotional and invisible labor that the women tend to do. And they get to be like the default caregiver, the default parent, um, you know, the default list keeper of their entire universe. And so uh, I think when I we spoke about that, right, like I spoke to your uh, group in Miami, and I think that the men in the room were like, I never thought about this. Every single woman in the room was like, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, Vina, because we all do it. And I actually learned there's a word for it. I didn't know there was a word for it. So it's called kin keeping. Yeah. So basically what it means is like women are tasked, whether they ask for it or not, to be the ones that like 
intuitively know at Thanksgiving dinner that, you know, mom or whoever is cooking needs help in the kitchen. Right. And like in, in my family, I'm the one that does the Thanksgiving cooking when we're not catering it. So like the women who come into the house, they instinctively know, oh, Vina, here, let me let me do this. Let me help put this out. Let me put. And whereas the men like my husband's amazing, but I still have to be like, OK, honey, I need you to do A, B and C in this time frame. And I need you to do all these other things that are follow ups after it. And he'll do all of them gladly and he'll never complain about it. But it's like when when the women come in, right, like when my mom shows up, she automatically sees me like putting out the bread rolls. She'll open the bread rolls and she'll put them onto a platter and like get everything squared away with just that one task. And I don't ever have to say anything to her. My mother-in-law does the same thing. My sister does the same thing. But like my dad doesn't and my husband doesn't. But if I ask them, they're good men. They're great men. They're great husbands, great fathers they'll do it and they'll happily do it. They won't complain, not even one time, but it's like the instinctiveness of knowing that this interaction needs to happen. Mm-hmm. So it seems like there's a lot. I mean, I feel like in my, my wow. wife too, because she's like, you know, just there's so many, there's so many like things one after another that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, okay, yeah. well, I'm just going to sit on the couch right here and, and maybe I, I don't think about those processes. I'm like, okay, well, okay, there's guests coming over. Let me just make sure this area is clean and we're good. But for her, she's like, well, what about the dishes? What about, you know, what, right. you know, the toilet paper in the bathroom, like all sorts of stuff. So I'm like, wow. Yeah. Now how, how- are they, what are we going to serve them to eat or drink? Is someone allergic to something there? The list goes on and on and on. Yeah. This pillow's out of place. And if someone's, there's yes. so much details that come into the, the thinking that it's doesn't it's not programmed in me and I don't know if it's like naturally not there or if I can train myself to be like that but um how would how can men really support women in this space well I think like one thing my husband started doing which I appreciate so much is he has started trying to look for the things that he thinks I would see or notice and then just taking care of it and then letting me know once the task is done so we're not doubling efforts, right? So um, I'll give you actually a great example. So after I started like talking to him about this, I mean like, babe, this is like a problem. I can't do all these things and have the mental energy still to do everything else I have to do. Like it's just too much. I can't I'm, – I'm collapsing under the weight of this. And so I walk by our uh, – you know like how the island – in the kitchen becomes like the place where everything collects for no apparent reason other than it's convenient to put everything down there. But I, I walk in one day and like on a call and you know, I like to walk around my house when I'm taking calls that aren't on video. So I'm like walking around, I'm like going to the kitchen and then all of a sudden I look over and I'm like, Oh my gosh, we've been robbed. This entire Island is pristine. Someone came in and stole all of the things that were on the Island, obviously. And so then I asked my husband, I go, honey, what happened? And he goes, I, what do you mean? I cleaned it up. And I like almost broke down in tears because I was like, I didn't have to tell you to do it. Like you just saw it and then you just did it. And I didn't even like, I didn't even have, I knew that the island was messy. I knew it needed to be taken care of. I knew I needed to delegate that or do it myself. But I was like, I didn't have to delegate. I didn't have to do anything. This is like, ah, you know, and like. After that, and I, I think he saw how much something so small 
helped me and relieved me because I am also a person that when there's clutter, I get very stressed out. And so it just like, it helped everybody in the household. And you know, there's that like whole saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. (laughs) And like, it's kind of true, right? Because then I could like, I felt like my anxiety from the mess come down a little bit, right? And I felt appreciated. I felt seen. I felt heard. And for me, that was like, it was like a whole new start of a relationship for me. And like ever since then, he's been amazing. And I mean, look, he still drops the ball. Like, don't get me wrong. But it's not that he, it's not whether he drops the ball or not. It's that, he, that he's putting in the effort and trying to do these things. And to answer your question, I think that from a young age, girls are programmed. Like this is repeatedly told to them, right? And I, I see this when I'm looking at my young daughters and like I have two nephews that are almost the same age as my girls. And when I look at how my nephews are spoken to or encouraged, not from parents or from us, but from the outside world compared to what my daughters are being told and the way they're being talked to, it's like night and day. Um, You know, like colors is such a simple one, right? Do you know how many times I get heard that like, oh, pink is for girls and blue is for boys. And I'm like, no, colors are for everybody. You know, like this is not. And then even Target until recently, they had like boys toys and girls toys. And I'm like, what is this nonsense? Like my girls like construction toys. They like cars. My one daughter loves Spider-Man. And I have a friend whose son like adores playing dress up and playing with dolls and playing kitchen. So we have, as a society, have imprinted these gender roles and expectations, but I don't think that they're actually like ingrained into us. I just had a funny image as as you were sharing about the colors, the genders. I'm oh. like, this could this could impact me and when me and my wife do a gender reveal party and it's going to be confusing as hell <laughs> when the Well, you know what's interesting? People, yeah, uh-huh. We we did that. We actually, I was like, how do we do this? Because I refuse to start our lives off where my girls are being subjected to like gender roles in terms of colors. So it actually was a problem for me because I was like, how do we do this? So what I ended up doing instead was I was like, okay, I think the theme was like, or I think I sent it to my sister. I was like, okay, I want you to just say that you're here for the sex. And she was like, what? <laughs> I was like, so we're going to we're gonna reveal the sex of the babies, not the gender, right? And so uh, I we got these gold balloons, and on them we wrote XX. And we, obviously we would wrote XY if it was a boy. Um, and it was fun because we had twins, and no one knew we were having twins. So – we did the first one and we made everybody like guess whether it was XX or XY first. And then after that, um, we like did the, the balloon came out of the box and it had like the big XX on it. And then um, I was like, oh, okay, so everybody tell me like who got it wrong, who got it right. And everybody was like sitting around on the couch. And then um, while I was talking to everybody, my husband brought out like a second box and everybody like lost their mind. They were like, what? And I was like, oh, yeah, if you got the first one wrong, you have a second chance to guess. And then everybody got the second one wrong because they expected it to be XY and it was XX. So. Oh, wow, that's super cute. But that was a struggle for me too. Okay, so this is obviously a, a, you know, a passionate topic of yours. And I think it's 
Do you think um, how important is it for women to actually express this and actually have the courage to express this, what they feel? Because I feel like sometimes for my wife, when she doesn't say or express these things, the energy and, and sometimes her anger or her frustration or all of that comes out sideways and it ends up being about something yeah. totally not that. And uh, mm-hmm. so how important is it for women to kind of also just speak up to their men about what they need? Well, I think, you know, like I have a really great husband, like he really is amazing. And part of what makes him amazing is I can tell him the way I feel. And I know he's gonna show up for me. And I know he's gonna support me. And so I think when we talk about this, like, it's unfair for me to have all of this pent up frustration and anger, and then expect him to just know and solve it, right? Like, I wish that's how it worked, but it doesn't. And that's where like the communication part of, I mean, any relationship, not just your spouse or your partner, also the relationships with your coworkers or your colleagues or your partners at work and your children, like communication is so key because we we're not mind readers. And so the one thing I will say, if there are women out there that are kind of like experiencing this kin keeping phenomenon, right. Or the emotional labor, and this was hard for me too, was um, letting go of the expectation of how I would do it, right? So when he does something that's taking it off my list, if that's not the way that I would do it, I it's taking me time, but like I have to learn how to accept that that's okay because it's still getting done and that's how he does it. And his way is equally as valid as my way. No, it's not, but I have to tell him that. So yeah, we need to hear that. <laughs> so actually, for all the men out there too, like we also have intuition, you know. And I do, and, mm-hmm. and sometimes like I'll go downstairs, and it's not normal for me to go and just, you know, I wake up, I have my morning drink, and I and I come up to my office and I start doing my things, and then sometimes I'll see like the dishes there, and I'm like, I should do the dishes, but then a lot of a lot uh, of times I'll be like, uh, I got to go do my other thing, right? So. And yeah. When I actually, when I actually go and do it, like she has such great gratitude for she's like, oh my god, it's done. Yeah. And little things like that. Even like when I come back, sometimes like, you know, I, it's not like expected, but sometimes I just leave my laundry kind of like hanging around in my room, like from like a trip, yeah. and she'll throw it in the laundry mm-hmm. basket and take it down. And, and so like I appreciate her greatly for that. But then like there's a moment mm-hmm. where I'm like, wait, I should probably do this, you know? I should do it too. Yeah, yes. <laughs> It's re- reciprocal. Yeah, I do, I, no, I think that's a great example. I think men have this and we've just like gotten so used to just being like ignore it and the wife or the female will take care of it. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would say that for me, even on this call, I don't know what brought this up, but now I'm going to trust that <laughs> intuition a little bit more. Oh, and I love so, yeah, that. Thank you, thank you I love that. Conversation. No, I and I appreciate you because I think that you're an example for a lot of men out there. And, you know, it's not too late to make a different choice, right? Like, just because you've been with someone or married to somebody. Like, my husband and I have been married for 10 years, and we just started having this conversation, like, 18 months ago. And it's just changed everything about – I'm I, like, I think we're more solid. We're more stable. We're happier. I love him more. <laughs> Because he's he's helping me now. It's a part, and you know it's not fair to men to think that you have to just be a participant. I I came here to build this life with Vansine, not for him. 
I came to build it with him, and he should be an active participant in our lives, not just like a bystander. Yeah, that's super powerful. So, you know, so. I love, you know, my, my podcast is called um, That Changed My Life. And so yes. I feel like when we first started talking, you know, most of the times I'll hear people mm-hmm. which talk about multifamily investments. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. And then we talked about this, and then immediately I was like, okay, yeah. there's something to <laughs> discover more, and I need to talk to you more about it. So it's real, you know, when we talk about it, I feel like it's really real when it comes from you. And so what, what impacted you to start like really being the strong woman that you are and and it's transitioned definitely into the multifamily space. I mean, everybody knows that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The multifamily is like more technical and boring to talk (laughs) about. Right. Um, you know, what I what I realized when I started speaking more on stages about multifamily, right? Because that's like my bread and butter. That's what I love and that's what I do. But what I realized was I had so many people come up to me, men and women, who were like, oh my gosh, I didn't know women could do this. I didn't, I sent this to my daughter. Can my daughter come and intern for you? I make my daughter listen to every podcast you're on because I want her to see someone that looks like her. So she knows she can do it too. So the crazy thing is many of the men that have built this system have children, daughters that they want to be able to do this. But if we don't take the chance or the opportunity or the onus to make these changes and these strides, like what will be there when my daughters are grown up, right? Um, But what, what really was the catalyst for me is when I started hearing that over and over and over, I was like, oh, there are other women listening. And what I think is dangerous about social media is like, if you look at my Instagram and stuff, like it all looks like everything's great. And I'm like amazing all of the time talking about all these crazy multifamily concepts, right? And like, okay, fine. But that's the highlight reel. That is not how I wake up and spend the vast majority of my days, right? Like, and I think it's important especially in a world of social media and especially where girls are susceptible to bullying and harassment online that we start like we should be I feel a responsibility to be a little bit more open and honest about it so that someone else can come to me and say hey me too like that's not just you I feel this way too or you know I talk about having like imposter syndrome and people are like oh my gosh what do you mean and I'm like look it's real it's just it's part of my makeup and who I am. And when I talk about it, one, it lessens the imposter syndrome, but two, and more importantly, women that are just starting out or even men that are just starting out are like, oh my gosh, Vina, I can't believe you have imposter syndrome. I don't feel like such a weirdo for having imposter syndrome. I'm like, yeah, just settle into this feeling. We're all in it together, you know, but it, it creates that connection and that closeness of community. Yeah. And so you are definitely making an impact. I feel like wherever you go, last time we were in a, in a place together, we were a, a, a mastermind in Houston and somebody yeah. said, and I don't know if you were there when she said it, but she was like, you know, I came because I saw that Vina was going to be here speaking, you know, and she was, uh, she, she was, didn't tell me. I don't know uh, who Heather, so she, it was one out of, yeah, oh. it was one out of like four women in this entire room of men and yeah. You know, I just think that that it's so powerful that just you showing up, like you've been speaking in such a way and you've made such an impact in the industry and in people's lives that people can just see your name and be like, oh, yeah, 
I want to be there. And you're inspiring. That really means a lot. That means a lot. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't know. And I think it probably happens every day. You may not hear it, but like you said, women are definitely looking up to you that this is a a possibility Mm -hmm. for them in this industry that's dominated Mm -hmm. by men. And so how important is it that you get this message out everywhere you go, or at least keep that in your mind as you are, you know, delivering messages on stage and on podcasts? Yeah, I don't think I, um, I, I, this isn't like my core mission to get this message out, right? But I do believe in social responsibility, right? So when I have an opportunity to be addressing a room, like, listen, I can speak as technical as you want about multifamily. I can run with the best of them, right? But I have an opportunity to give a different perspective. And, you know, we operate our company at Vive with the core belief that diversity is our strength. It is not our weakness. And so for me, I want to impact other businesses to pay attention. Even if you're not going to care, I want you to at least pretend like you're going to care. And I want it to be known that like, we're watching, we're seeing you. And I've actually expanded my ESGs at my company. Um, We don't work with any companies that do not align with our core mission of diversity. So I, you know, I had a vendor that I was working with. I'm actually firing them now that our contract is up because, and, and you know, they're great. They're nice. I like working with them. But I told them from day one, if I don't see diversity, and I don't mean like your admins are women or minorities. I mean, in the C-suite, if I don't see diversity, this is not aligned with my core values and we cannot do business together because there are a hundred women-owned, minority-owned, or white or men own businesses that care about diversity and that push diversity to the forefront of their alignment for me to work with. And I don't need to work with a company that does not see the value. And I see that non-diversity in the C-suite and above as a weakness to any business. Um, So that's something that we've implemented and we've rolled out so that we can make sure that our company is really using our ability to impact other businesses in a responsible way. That's amazing. So when when did you decide that this was the core mission of your company? <laughs> um, I, I, diversity has always been at the core of everything that I've done um, and advocating for diversity. And I think that it really became something where I felt like I could impact or influence or, you know, encourage, persuade other companies to do it. Um, I started taking this kind of into our thought process back in 2021. Um, and then 2022, we really started applying it in 2023. We were just continuing that and kind of fine tuning it okay, a little so bit. You kind of, in 2021, you're like, okay, we're going to start making a statement that this is, this is what yeah. we stand for. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. It's nerve wracking yeah. to do, right? Because you're like, okay, what are people going to think, you know, cancel culture, et cetera. But I think that's, what's important is that People don't, because a lot of times when people hear like gender equality, right? And like women in the workplace or diversity in the workplace, a lot of times people hear, okay, we don't want any men here. I'm like, that's not it at all. Like not even remotely because diversity includes men. It includes white men. It includes white women, right? It includes everybody. All I'm saying is, is I only want to work with the best. And I just simply refuse to believe that 50% of the population is not qualified based on their gender. 
So either you don't know that women could serve in this capacity and you're ignoring it because you haven't looked hard enough and that's a problem. Uh, or the other problem is that you don't believe that women are capable of this, which what are you doing business with me for then? Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So let's, so. let's, let's keep it real. Continue keeping it real a little bit more. Uh, I mean, you've been, you've been real. I love, I love talking to you and I think, you know, you're such an amazing person. Likewise. If you think, if you, Likewise. If you think back to your life, just moments, people that have come into your life that really made a difference. Like, can mm -hmm. you give us some some of those moments or the people that have really impacted you in becoming the person that you are today? Parents, right? Like, they raised me like this. My mom is very much um, like she's an entrepreneur and she's been absolutely a role model throughout our lives for sure. Um, you know, my dad too, my dad was the backbone of our family. He always has been, and he always supported my mom and he's the one who really set the bar high for whoever my sister and I would end up being partnered with. Um, and then, you know, obviously my, well, and maybe not obviously but my sister, um, you know, she's, she's like the first best friend I had in life. Right. And um, you know, she's still my best friend and she's still somebody that I get a chance to work with now at my company. And that's really cool for me. And we can, you know, we just have a different vibe than if it were someone that wasn't my sister that I didn't grow up with. Um, so those are like the three people from early, early on. Right. And then, uh, you know, obviously when you get married, your husband has an impact on you, but, uh, and I, I love him, but now I have children. So I feel like he has to get booted back further. Right. Um, and so my, my kids, my daughters, having them change, I mean, having kids just changes you in a way that you're not prepared for, even though like you hear about it and, you know, people will hear someone say, Oh, kids is like so amazing, mother, whatever the love, et cetera. It's fine when it's a theory, but when it's real, like, oh my gosh, it is real. And, um, the, not even them being born, but there was a moment my, one of my daughters was about almost 10 weeks old and they were five weeks premature. So they call it like five weeks adjusted because it's like, basically she was like the development of a five week old, which is normal with twins. Um, but she, she got sick and we took her to the ER because she was so little and she had a really high fever. And so they ultimately diagnosed her with a um, UTI and they treated her for that. But part of the protocol is to do a ultrasound, a kidney ultrasound. And on that ultrasound, we were getting ready to like get discharged, whatever. And they're like, oh, we just have to finish the kidney ultrasound. Then we're fine. So I was like, okay. So she was so little she was less than eight pounds and that they picked up her liver on the ultrasound and there was like some kind of obstruction on it. And so the doctor comes to me and says, listen, um, the radiologist sees something on the liver. We have to investigate it further. We're not sure what it is yet, but we need to do further imaging. So I was like, okay, it was like obviously a shadow. Um, so then they went, they, they took her, they put her under anesthesia at like eight weeks, which that was like horrific. Um, and then the doctor comes back and goes, it's a hepatoblastoma. And I'm like, okay, like, I don't know what that means. And I look at my husband, who's a physician and he is like, 
bawling immediately. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is bad. So he says, look, it's a very aggressive pediatric cancer that happens on the liver. It's like a one in a million diagnosis and it's taking up 30% of her liver. And I was like, what are you saying to me? Like, if you want to know how to like crush a mother's world, this is what you say to them, right? So ultimately we, so we, we got checked into the oncology floor and, you know, this whole time I have one twin at home who needs me and I'm here with my twin who has this tumor on her liver. And so anyway, they, we had really great friends that came in, um, and, One's a pediatric radiologist and the other's a pediatric radiation oncologist. And so I immediately called them. I'm like bawling. And in that moment, in my mind, I was like, okay, we're going to sell everything we own. We're going to move as close as possible to wherever the best hospital in the whole entire world is. Everyone is going to quit their jobs. And all we're going to do is focus on making sure that my other daughter gets the attention and love that she needs and that this daughter has the best fighting chance possible, right? Like that was all that happened in like one second in my mind, right? I was like, well, just maybe we can buy her a new liver somewhere. Like that went through my head. And so anyway, so we go through this whole process and um, our friends that are doctors that are specialized in this area, they show up at the hospital and like they're sitting in on tumor board, et cetera, and they were going to biopsy her. And then our one friend who is a pediatric radiologist She's like, Vina, can I send the imaging to a bunch of my friends from radiology? It's like, yeah. She's like, it's going to be, you know, I, I need to check because like HIPAA compliance. I was like, Kate, you can take a billboard out in Manhattan and I do not mind. Like there's no concern of any privacy, like just help my baby. So she sends it, 14 radiologists look at it overnight and they all come back and they go, we think this is the differential diagnosis, which means the alternative diagnosis of an IHH, an infantile hepatic hemangia endothelioma. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? I need lay people words, right? And that is a benign tumor. And most people that have them, like you don't even know that you have them because you didn't do this imaging. And so I was like, so what do we do? Because the only way to confirm the cancer diagnosis is to biopsy it. And she goes, I don't think you should. And I was like, well, what if you're wrong? She's like, then the cancer is going to continue and it's going to grow and, you know, we'll have to deal with it. But I think we should monitor instead because the risk of, um, of biopsying it is that she could, it could, she could bleed out. She could hemorrhage and bleed out. I'm like, awesome. These are great options for me. And she's like, I know, but I think this is the better option. So we, we listened to her, we followed her advice and it turns out that they were right. This was a misdiagnosis out of the gate. She did have a tumor but it was not malignant like they initially thought. And so it ended up being benign, thankfully. But I, I know it's like a long moment that impacted me and changed my life. But I'll tell you what really changed my life looking back on it. Obviously, when you hear something like that, that changes your life immediately. But what really changed my life in that, in that moment was in less than five seconds, I made a decision that I would sell everything. I would roll up the business and I would move wherever we needed to go. And I would move the whole family with me. That is not something that is typically possible for most people. And multifamily and this business that I had built was the only reason that I could not even think about the financial implications of what dealing with an actual 
cancer diagnosis would have looked like. And that is what really solidified my love of what I do more than I even loved it before. No, but I'm sorry. I know that was a long story, story. but. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> it's it's incredible that that even happened. I feel surreal so, sometimes. The multifamily side of the business. You know, I think a lot of people, when they reach yeah. out to you, I think that's the first thing they're trying to, you know, get is more information on how do we get there? You know, you've gone there. So mm -hmm. what are some tips for me? Mm -hmm. What are some stuff like that? Right. So what is the question that you hear the yeah. most? Like when you when people meet you for the first time? I have this deal. Do you want to buy it? <laughs> I hear that. Um, I hear. Okay. How do I get started? That's legitimate. And I'm like, okay, it's legitimate, but like, it's not very specific, right? Like, tell me what you've done already. Where are you? Where are you stuck? Tell me what the hurdle or the obstacle you have in front of you is specifically. Because look, I'm not going to be spending the next seven hours with you probably, right? And if I am, fine. But if I'm not, then you and I need to be able to interact and I need to be able to give you concise information. Like if you're telling me like, hey, I'm running into a wall on how to even get started raising capital. Awesome. I can tell you, you know, go call your securities attorney, go create your pitch deck, make sure you have your webinar. Here's the format you can use. Like those things I can give you actionable items. But if you say, how do I get started? Well, multifamily is like 90% a mindset and showing up, right? It's showing up over and over and over and over. Even when you don't want to show up, you still show up. That's 90% of it. There's not some secret sauce there. I, you know, I can't teach you how to want to show up. Um, the rest of it is like learning the technical information, right? So learn the vocabulary that is available on many resources, right? Like I'm sure this is probably one of the first things you do in your mastermind. Yes. Is talk about like vocabulary, right? So like T12, rent roll, like what are all these things? And so that's like first. And then more importantly is being in those rooms, right? Like you and I met because we were in a very specific room and it was not a free room. It was a paid room. It was a very expensive room, right? And we both were in that room together and that's how we started talking. And then we were in the same room again. That was also another paid room and a very expensive room, but we were in that room again. And I'm sure we'll be on many other rooms, but I always say like, this is the biggest mistake I made in my career was not realizing the value that existed behind those paywalls or whatever you want to call them. I always thought it was like, I don't really need to join this group or be in this networking event to learn what NOI is. Like, I already know that. And also, like, you don't need to join anybody's group to do that. You can Google that. It's free. It, that's not the important part of these rooms. The important part is when Alex and Vina get to meet multiple times. And now when we can maybe do a deal together or maybe you need help with something that you haven't faced before or I need help with something that I haven't faced before. Well, guess what? Now when I reach out, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, Vina, she's she's coming and asking me for this. Okay, Alex, I know him. I've been around him many times. I know his energy. I know his moral compass aligns with mine. And that's why those yeah, rooms are really important. You know, thinking back also, like in those rooms is where I met some of the most impactful people in my life in the last two years. You know, like paying to be in those rooms and, and meeting them. And then actually my entire life going into a different trajectory. So, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You know where, you know, the room that professionally oh, changed my life the most. Okay. So I actually met him on 
believe it or not, Clubhouse. Remember when that used to be a thing? So I was in a room. He was there, and Cole Hatter was there too. And so someone pulled me on stage. I don't know who because Cody and I did not know each other. And he, they start saying something about multifamily. He's a single family guy. He's a developer, builder, single family, fix and flip, massive operation. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I like always have like my opinions on multifamily. So I'm like speaking, whatever. And Cody and Cole both start talking to me at the exact same time. And they're like, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. So one at a time. And then uh, Cody was like, hey, listen, I have this um, conference that I'm doing. I'd love to like have you come out and speak at it, whatever. And I was like, okay, yeah, let me know. And you know, at Clubhouse, like everybody says this. So I'd be like, oh yeah, email my admin. We'll figure it out. And I like let her gatekeep, right? But then, um, so I, I wasn't even going to do it because I'm like, hey, this random dude asked me. And then he's like, you know, we have this private dinner at a private mansion in Dallas, which is where I live um, this weekend. And there's like a private chef coming. Do you want to come to this like random mansion in Dallas? And I was like, are you asking me if I want to be sex trafficked? Absolutely not, Cody. So I'm like, you know, this is the first time I'm talking to him. So I'm being professional. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm already committed to something, you know, like dodging. So he's like, oh, come on. It'll be great. And I'm like, warning bell, warning bell, warning bell, right? And so I'm like, no, 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 no. And then I hang up and I'm like telling a couple of my friends about this Cody Sperber guy, like clever investor, whatever. And they're like, Vina, do you know who that is? And I was like, no, <laughs> like not even a little bit. It's some dude that tried to sex traffic me. That's what I know about him. And they're like, no, Vina, he's legitimate. He's like one of the biggest real estate brands in the game. And I was like, oh, they're like, Google him. And I was like, okay, they're like, you didn't Google him before saying no. I was like, no, I don't, I actually don't Google anybody. I'm so bad about remembering that that's even a thing. Um, and it turns out that the private dinner was the hundred million room or whatever, where everybody in there has a hundred million dollar business or more. And I said, no, cause I thought maybe wow. he was trying to sex traffic me off the internet. It turns out he was not sex trafficking me, but he changed my life because he put me on the clever summit stage multiple times. Right. And the last one was the finale. It was in Vegas and I, there I met Pace Morby, who was also speaking on that stage. And Pace is the most amazing human that's like ever existed on the face of the planet. And I don't even know why or how or what, like, but we're just like, it's like we've known each other forever and ever and ever, right? Like sometimes you meet people that you're just like so intertwined with and connected with. And so I meet Pace. And, you know, at the conference, it's busy, right? So I'm like, yeah, okay, great. Hey, so nice to meet you. Like, let's get together, whatever. And then I don't remember how, but after that, we we just started connecting. Maybe it was in the text group from that um, summit. And, like, now we do – we've done so much business together. We've done $150 million worth of deals together. He has taught me more than I've ever known about – social media and marketing and how to build a community and how to impact a community. And he has had so much impact on my life and other people around him that I'm like, oh my gosh, Pace, you've like changed my entire world. And it was because Cody opened a door that I didn't know even existed. 
And so that was like a single pivotal moment in my career beyond anything else that I've ever had. Thanks for sharing that. So I hear so much about Pace. Everybody so, talks all these, yes. you know, says all these great things about Pace. I look oh, forward to meeting him. So maybe one day you'll do the introduction. Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. You will. Okay. Yes, for sure. For sure. No, he's he's just infectious in his personality. And he just, he wants to help people. He's like a genuine, like, you know, the term go-giver. I think that's about Pace, Love really. It. So as we come to a close on this, on this, uh, so, yeah, he's amazing. You know, thanks so much for yes. giving me some insight and also the audience some insight of who you are. You know, on a oh, real deep you. level and the things that impacted you. Um, kind of to sum it up, mm-hmm. when you when you see people, what what are the questions, or maybe one or some questions that you want people to actually ask you? You know, like when you meet, like what conversations do you want to talk about? And Family, right? Like I love multifamily all around. So I'm willing to have any conversation about multifamily. Just be specific about what you're asking, right? Uh, my favorite thing I like talking about is raising capital in multifamily. Um, that's like kind of my favorite part of what I do. So I like talking about that. But also, I love these conversations around how can we all come together to be better together, right? Like, how can we help each other and how can we collaborate and how can we get to that next level of whatever it is? Yeah, and so that's important for me. definitely gives us the opportunity to yeah. do that. And that's why I love this game so much as well. So I think what we need at some point probably is to have a part two of this and talk about multifamily, talk about capital raising. Oh, <laughs> I think that's what oh, a yeah. lot of people are going to want to hear too. <laughs> so, okay. Let's awesome. do it. So, Let's yeah, do it. Thank you. Thank you so much for, sure. for, for taking the time to, you know, be yes, on this call. Thank you. Sharing. Thank You're you. the best. Thank you so much. With that, we come to the end of another powerful episode of the That Changed My Life podcast. We hope you've been deeply moved by the personal stories shared today and that they have inspired you to reflect on your own life experiences. Change can be uncomfortable and challenging, but it's often the catalyst for growth and progress. Whether it's overcoming obstacles, taking risks, or embracing new opportunities, our lives are shaped by the choices we make and the moments that leave a lasting impact. I encourage you to take these stories to heart and reflect on how they can influence your own life. What changes do you need to make to become the best version of yourself? What pivotal moments have shaped your journey so far? How can you harness the power of change to create a more fulfilling life? Thank you for your continued support of the podcast. Remember to subscribe, leave a rating and review to help us reach more listeners and share these transformative stories with others. Follow me on Instagram at alexlovelee and use hashtag that changed my life. I look forward to bringing you more inspiring stories in next week's episode. Until then, keep embracing change, striving for growth, and making a positive impact in your own life. This is Alex, signing off.